your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, today we're talking about, are you thinking about suicide? You know, people that are suicidal are in a deep, deep state of pain. I, I don't know if you know uh, or ever, ever experienced pain that you just couldn't get rid of, and it's a pain that is so intense that no aspirin, no kind of medication will help you. And you're just sitting in that state of pain. And what happens to the brain and what happens to us as people is we go, I don't know how long I can live like this. I don't know. You know, they don't think about their, their, the people in their life. They're not thinking about their children. They're not thinking about the people they love. All they're thinking about is how much pain they're in. And when people are in that state of mind, they are so self-centered at that point, because all that intensity is around their pain, that they just want to escape it as quickly as possible. And so suicide itself, whether there's mental illness or not mental illness, is a manic act. It's a manic act of desperation. And many people that conceive of suicide don't realize that by the fact that they commit suicide, that means that all the people in their life that surround them have to process the idea of suicide as an alternative in their own life simply because someone they know committed suicide and then they go into the exploratory idea of why did they do that. Oftentimes people don't talk about their idea of wanting to commit suicide, they just do it, especially men. Men tend to be more deliberate about suicide. Women tend to be more methodical uh, moving towards suicide, showing signs of suicide, and then maybe attempting a few times and then committing. Uh, and so it's not always that way. And I'm talking in general and statistics. But the bottom line is suicide itself is this desperation to get out of emotional pain. Also, what's interesting is, and, and what has not statistically been tracked, is there is a huge, especially in the United States, is fat as we all are. Um, but the bottom line is it, 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 people live what's called a suicidal life. So they'll choose to have a coping skill like smoking, like drinking, like uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, food, whatever their addiction is that, you know, needing to uh, put their life at risk, getting that adrenaline a junky feeling, you know, those kind of things are a suicidal life. That means they're living in a way that they're not taking care of themselves and eventually they know that that will kill them. But they don't care. They don't care, a bit. they don't wanna commit suicide, but they were allowing their lifestyle to do that for them. And the vast majority of people in this world actually do live some form of a suicidal life in the way that they conduct themselves about their health. You know, every suicide is a tragedy, and to some degree, it's a mystery. And that's the problem. People overthink suicide. And here's a problem with people that commit suicide, and that is that you become the person that committed suicide. You don't become the person who had a life who had a legacy, who had enormous amounts of memory, it's you are that person that killed themselves. That's how you're remembered 
And so all the time you spend in your life is not really honored or lives beyond you simply because you committed an ultimate act that other people have to now consider, and that traumatizes them. Suicidal is generational. What happens is when one person does it, other people that have similar conditions in their life choose to do it, especially if they're close to you. And so if it, suicide happens in a family, many times you will see it happening throughout the generations of that same family. People tend to operate in that space once they've had to face it. You know, suicide often stems from deep feeling of hopelessness or the inability to see solutions to problems or to cope with challenging life circumstances. And so that may lead to, to people seeing uh, that taking their own lives as the only solution is what is really a temporary solution. So most survivors of suicide attempts to go on uh, to live a full and rewarding lives. And so what used to be about a million people a year uh, considering suicide, of that, that used to be about 40,000 would actually attempt it and, and actually do it. But now that is greater given that we've lived through COVID. And the statistics are still out there as to what, what suicide is, but we know that it's much greater than it ever was before. So depression is a key risk factor for suicides. You know, other, others include uh, psychiatric disorders, substance abuse, chronic pain, uh, family history of suicide, a prior suicidal attempt. But impulsiveness often plays a huge role among young kids who take their life. And to learn more about that, we're going to talk about children, in fact, later on in the show. But if a person deemed to risk due to any of those kind of things, those mood changes, even a subtle, suddenly upbeat mood or completely new behaviors, they may be actively suicidal. So if they're a depressed person that suddenly is not depressed there's a good chance that something is changing in their life emotionally and maybe they're relieved that they've actually decided to do this and oftentimes they end up giving things away, having the last great exchanges with people and then all of a sudden, bang, they're gone. And that in itself is an indicator, but it's a real hard one to read. You know, statistically, suicide occurs most frequently among people that are 45 to 54. Women are more likely than men to attempt suicide, and men are more likely than women to actually get it done. You know, uh, uh, if you really want to talk about suicide or if you're thinking about suicide, there's a new suicide hotline. It's 988. Also, there is the suicidal hotline is 1-800-273-TALK. And there's also an international resources page for suicide hotlines in every single country. There's also uh, the Psychology Today directory that you could go to online that could help you uh, find resources if you're considering suicide. So there's many myths about suicide. One is the mistaken belief that talking about it to a person in danger encourages the act. You know, if a loved one expresses thoughts or plans of suicide, it's really essential to initiate a conversation. Is it wise to approach the discussion by identifying resources such as a therapist or suicide prevention or, or hotline or, or conclude a conversation with that commitment to follow up with the person over time? Yes, but the real thing is when you're negotiating or discussing suicide with somebody, you have to forget, you have to remember that they are in deep, deep, deep pain. And so the main ingredients of what you want to remind them is the impact that their 
death may have on other people's lives, including their children, and what that suicide might in fact do. And so it's very important to be direct with that person by asking, you know, a lot of questions like, how are you coping with this suicidal challenge? You know, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Do you have a plan? Are you thinking about dying? Are you thinking about suicide? Have, have you come up with a plan for taking your own life? You know, this is important. People that have the ideation, which is the idea of suicide, and people that actually have the plan are the ones who are in the most danger. And, and those people you also need to assess what kind of resources they have around them to commit the act of suicide. So anyone who's experiencing uh, persistent suicidal thoughts or behaviors should seek help as soon as possible. And in the midst of a crisis, the best resources are usually suicide hotlines, staff by people are trained to do uh, talk someone through the immediate crisis and connect them with other help, like crisis centers, local authorities. And beyond that, seeking the help of a trained mental health professional is the best way to ward off future crises and sustain well-being over time. But so the deal is you want to get them through that hot moment where they're wanting to make this deep, emotional, long, life-ending decision. And so that emotional decision is always the wrong decision because when we make emotional decisions, we often rethink and regret our emotional decisions because we didn't do any consequential thinking and thinking about the impact our life really has on others. And, and, and so while it's tempting to isolate yourself and shoulder your grief alone, you know, uh, seeking help from others, whether your own family or friends, a trained medical professional, a support group is, is the surest path towards healing. And though the pain of the loss will likely never go away, many suicidal survivors find that with time, they come to recognize that their loved one's death was not their own fault and are able to find meaning and purpose in life again. However, they go through that grieving period not fully understanding why you committed suicide or what was driving the suicide. But the other thing is they often find themselves to blame and to escape that takes enormous psychiatric work for those people and it may scar them for the rest of their life. And so you, you have to understand how selfish suicide is because we are a society dependent on each other who love and support each other. And, and our impact, even though we may not love some of the people around us, is going to impact others. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's an increase in suicidal attempts, which is a contagion. And those attempts and those completed suicide following exposure to a suicide, whether it's in the media, whether it's in your personal circle, whether it's in the people that you know around you, when it's out there, it's out there. And believe me, you, the children of this age, these days, this Generation Z, uh, these guys are talking about it all the time. And it's a main focus. And a lot of them use it to get attention, but some of them actually are following through with it. And those who are especially susceptible to that contagion of, of, of increasing attempts like cutting and, and just playing with the idea of killing themselves, mm -hmm. that in itself is also creating a prominent amount of understanding of what they may or may not want to do because now they're starting to get closer to the idea that they can actually commit suicide. 
And so sadly, people will create things like physical pain by cutting to actually uh, uh, avert suicide in order to feel physical pain over their mental pain. And it's a diversion. But, uh, you know, copycat suicide is the biggest problem. And that is mostly with adolescents, people already struggle with suicidal thoughts, people with mental health conditions, and also uh, people with depression, bipolar, traumatic stress disorder. Suicide in elderly is also a big factor, especially when they're having their hips replaced or their knees replaced, and they get maybe addicted to the pain medication. And so what happens is a lot of these folks will use suicide as a way out of the physical pain that they're in. Old age itself is painful. It's hard. It's fragile. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating for many people to not do what they used to be able to do. And so the idea of just not being able to be the person they once were, many people go to the idea that suicide is okay. You know, but it is not okay. And and the phenomenon may occur in part due to the tendency to learn from important and relevant people in life who, because the ideas become more prominent in your own mind when you see people out there in the world that you thought were relatively healthy turn into a suicidal uh, person, you know, and, and so suicide prevention has a lot of, of, of material out there. There's a lot to talk about. And, and, and the fact is that, that suggesting that a death is due to a simple reason or an achieved goal such as fame or revenge or perhaps more important, uh, you know, by somebody who may be struggling, that person, if they revert themselves to suicide, they can be helped. But that means we need to step into their life. You know, when people are in pain, when people have committed sins, when people have committed horrible things in their life. We also need to step into their life because they may have had problems. Maybe they made mistakes, but that doesn't mean they need to commit suicide because that suicide itself will catch on. And it catches on, especially when the media loves to pay attention to it. In some countries and the United States, individuals with terminal illness are sometimes legally allowed to request a physician-assisted suicide, which a medical professional helps them procure the means and deliberately end their life so they choose. Assisted suicide is a great debate, but that's not what this show is about. But with those in favor of arguing that it allows people to die in dignity and spare themselves and their loved ones a lot of pain, and those opposed to arguing it devalues human life or may be applied by someone who has uh, uh, other yet unexplored options, you know, you may think about the idea if you're going to do assisted suicide, does your insurance actually cover it? Uh, does does that mean that your relatives are going to get paid out because you commit suicide? So you need to weigh the options there before you go to that final solution. One of the most frightening experiences a person can have is hearing a friend or a loved one say they want to die. And, and while it could be tempting to cope with this information – by labeling it as attention-seeking behavior or clinging to the myth that people who talk about suicide don't actually follow through, which is simply untrue. It's important to take all warning signs of suicide and suicidal ideation very seriously. You know, quite frankly, in therapy, when we hear people talk about suicide, we want to put them on what's called a suicidal contract. 
And what that suicidal contract does is gives that person an idea of what they need to do when they have suicidal ideation and also the fact that they would try to either call 911-988 or call their therapist and actually discuss the ideas that they're having or someone who loves them or someone who's nearby to them, that that's what they will do before they actually go through the deed of committing suicide. If your friend is at risk of attempting suicide right now, you want to call the police department right away. Imminent danger includes situations where the person is in possession of a weapon, pills, or other means to follow through with suicide. And if people communicate that they have the intent and they have the means to kill themselves, that means you got to jump. You got to jump now. You got to get involved. That is the deal. You've got to engage when someone is talking in that manner. You know, if possible, don't leave them alone. Do If you're with them, do your best to remove any items they can use to hurt them if that's where you're at. But if you're on the phone with them, keep them on the phone. And if it's safe, you may drive your friend to the emergency room. Doctors will assess their mental and physical health and create a clear plan that will keep them safe. Sometimes it's a day hold. Sometimes it's a release. Sometimes it's a 72-hour hold. Sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it's two weeks, depending on their suicidality. But if the answer is, is you know, don't be afraid to ask, are you having thoughts of suicide? And, and you know, and, and you want to find out how are you how would you do it if you're thinking about it? And do you have the need to carry out your plan? Do you know when you will do it? You know, fortunately, the majority of people will either say that they have no definite plans or that they don't have the nerve to do it themselves, although this is still a serious situation. So if their answers indicate that they don't have a plan, they're probably not in imminent danger of hurting themselves. So take their words as a plea for help. And that means you want to step in and help them to get assistance that they need and urge them to seek professional help as soon as possible. This is a priority. You've got to take this seriously. I know many people out there who believe that suicidal ideation is just a means to get of attention. But when people are considering suicidal ideation, that means they're tipping that suicidal ideation into other people's lives. And that means they're having to consider suicide in their life. And so just having to consider it rubs off into the idea that you may do self-harm to yourself because you're witnessing somebody else doing it. And now that's your alternative. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come right back and talk more about suicide. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. 
Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome, everybody. You know, when we uh, have to consider on this show what we're we're talking about today is are you thinking about suicide? And a lot of people who go through tragedy in their life maybe become handicapped in some way, often consider suicidality. And one of the reasons why they do that is because they start looking at all the things they can't do. What is important is that we move to all the things that we can do. There are millions of things that we can do still, even after a handicap. And so what we have to consider is the idea of what's left of our life and what, what can we do to create a life given the limitations that we may have in this life with a handicap? But the bottom line is, the bottom line is when you're talking to somebody who is suicidal, you want to discuss the pain that they are in with compassion and empathy, not shock and awe, not like you're like they're some kind of freak. You want to listen to them. You want to be the safe harbor for people to be able to plug in and discuss their feelings. And just because people have feelings of wanting to commit suicide and even thoughts of wanting to commit suicide doesn't mean they're going to commit suicide. Most of the time, you can talk people off the edge of suicide if you just allow them to vent their feelings and let those feelings be heard so they know what they're thinking, they know what they're going through, and maybe even offering some comfort and some ideas of how they can change and how they can grow from the experience. You know, you may feel like you will lose your friendship if you take action. If your friend may even tell you that they're being that you are betraying them or making them angry, just remember that you may permanently lose your friendship if you don't do something. When they're well again, they may thank you. There are a number of different things you could do to be supportive and empathetic. As a friend, you know, I remember going on a call because I used to do tons and tons of crisis work. And I, I went to see an officer, a police officer who was wanting to commit suicide. And what was so interesting is that he would lose his gun uh, had that been reported, had he been uh, taken in to, for a suicidal evaluation. And so the deal was is that uh, he – his identity was a lot had a lot to do with him being an officer but what 
fortunately, he also had a daughter and that daughter, uh, he had a picture of her. And, and looking at that picture, we were able to identify how important his life is to someone else. And all of a sudden, the realization of the impact his suicide would have have on his daughter and his life, his relatives, his family, his brothers, his sisters, his brothers and, and sisters in, in, the, in the police force, and on and on and on and on. And what's interesting is he was very resentful of the idea of having to turn in his gun. But after a year, and yes, he had to work desk work, but after a year, he got his gun back and he was very grateful that he had gone through that experience so much so that he joined peer support and often was a helper for other uh, people in law enforcement that were struggling. You know, there's a number of different things that you can do to be supportive. You know, the key is to avoid being judgmental or dismissive of what your friend is feeling. So you want to speak from the heart and you also want to ask a lot of really good questions about pain, about suffering, about what they're going through. It may be a medical issue. It, it may be a handicap. It may be something that, that they're going through emotionally. Maybe it's a breakup. Maybe it's their first girlfriend that they've lost and she's on a date with somebody else. I've seen people kill themselves over things as simple as that, as your first girlfriend friend breaks up with you or doesn't break up with you, but goes on a date with another guy on Valentine's day and then all of a sudden teenager kills himself you know it's just amazing the the factors involved in something like this there's no right or wrong things you can say if you're speaking out of love and concern just be yourself show that you care care is empathy and compassion and you want to not talk to them you want to hold them if they cry or whatever else is necessary but research is shown that the most important thing is acknowledge their feelings and honor their feelings. Allow them to vent their feelings. It's not about you. It's not about you stopping them. What it's about you is creating a process that is goes against the grain of suicide, which is actually to be able to vent their emotions and allow them to be heard and acknowledged. That may be all that they need. You know, help them process their thoughts and their feelings. Help them reduce their suicidal thoughts by going with them down the road of how they feel. Don't try to analyze. Don't try to sit there and try to fix it. What you want to do is hear, 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 weigh through all of the emotions until you finally get to logic. And the way we do that is by being good listeners. We acknowledge their feelings by just repeating. So you're thinking this. So you're feeling this. I get it. I understand. Doesn't mean you agree with it. There doesn't have to be agreement. But don't try to fix it. That's the dumbest thing you could possibly do because you're doing what the rest of the world is doing, which is turning off their voice to voice their feelings. So many of us are so analytical and so ridiculously selfish that all we do is we want to fix everybody's problems when our main job in this life is empathy and compassion. If you want to look at what meaning in life has to do with this life, if you want to have meaning in your life, it has to do with your emotional relationships with other people, not the things you do, your emotional relationships. That is your greatest value. Yes, things you do in life, especially when they're greatly impacting and helpful for other people, can be great things to be remembered by. But the biggest deal is your relationships. Never forget that. Never, ever forget that. And that does not call for you to fix. 
that calls for you to listen. You know, a suicidal person usually is carrying around a huge burden that they feel they just can't handle anymore. And nobody's listening. And so offer to listen and share their feelings of despair and anger. Stop sharing and one-upping one their stuff with your stuff. Try, stop mirroring things on your life into their life. Stop talking selfishly about yourself, but actually give yourself to the moment and listen. Share their despair, their anger, their loneliness, and only about them, not about you, not about when you went through this and when you went through that and what you did. That's not what it's about. Back off and give them center stage. Sometimes this is enough to lighten the load and just enough for them to carry on. You also want to validate and show openness by being empathetic, non-judgmental, non-reflective of your own crap, patient, calm, accepting. You know, the person will pick up on your attitude and begin to mirror it for themselves and, 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 and keep them talking. Talking allows them to redo. That means ask questions. Don't give answers. Ask questions. Lots of questions. Talking will allow them to reduce emotional burden that they're carrying and give them time to calm down. And the longer you keep them talking, the more you can take the edge off their desperation. As their momentum winds down, the harder it is for them to act on their feelings. And maybe you can actually get to humor at some point, which is also very, very healing. You know, try not to offer quick solutions or belittle that person's feelings by comparing them to your own. You know, how, how big they perceive the problem to be and how much they are hurting is only what counts. That's it, not you. Rational arguments do little good to persuade a person when they are in that state of mind. Instead, you want to offer empathy, compassion. Empathy is like somebody jumps off a, a cliff and you look down at them and instead of jumping off yourself, which is called sympathy, you go, I, I, I look, when you're ready, I'll get a rope for you or I'll go get help. You know, but that means you're not going to join them in the problem. You're just going to join them in the feelings, empathy and compassion. It's it, that is what's important for what they are feeling and how they feel, which is nothing to do with logic. Of course, it's illogical to commit suicide. But suicide is a feeling. It's a response to feelings. So if you want to eliminate the response to feelings, you've got to go to the feelings, not the response. You know, you also, if you're going to be taking on somebody's problems, you know, try not to offer the, the quick solutions. You know, be careful. Dealing with the suicide threat is very stressful. And many kids get caught up in the idea that they go to each other when they have suicidal thoughts. And they use that as a means to get attention and to one-up each other. And so a lot of them will just pack together and don't realize the amount of stress that they're creating by trying to prevent each other from committing suicide. You want to call for professional help immediately or parental help or relative help or friend's help. Get help. That's the idea. Don't just sit in it secretly with them. If they are still conscious, get, get what information you can about what they've ingested or what they've done and how long ago they did it, how much they took, when the last time they ate, their general state of health. These are questions that any paramedic is going to want to know and any doctor is going to want to know. You know, and, and, and so what's important is seeking that help. If the person has already started suicide, 
That's what you want to do. You want to get after it right away. And if you're in a situation such as an online friendship where you know very little about the person, encourage them to call 911 or find out where they're located and call 911 there or call the, whatever their emergency hotline is in their city or in their area. But th th that's your best option because a local agency such as the police or a hotline or an ambulance may be able to trace the call and get the assistance to that person. You know, if they refuse to call, do your best to learn whatever personal information you can about the person. Don't hesitate to ask them about their address, their phone number, and other information to get an emergency dispatch home immediately. You know, it, it, there's the, the, the National Suicide Prevention Line is 800-273-8255 or 988. That is important. Now let's talk about statistics. When the suicide rate is broken down by demographics and important information can be found, you know, the, the suicide rate is four times higher for males than females. In the United States, male deaths make up almost 80% of all suicidal deaths. Suicide attempt is three times as often by females. Women are more likely to have suicidal thoughts. That's not all. That's just some of them. That's a generalization. Statistics are general. They're not specific. Suicide is also, uh, firearms is the most common cause of death for males. Poisoning is the most common cause for females. Lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual kids are three times more likely to, to suicide than homosexual kids. 41% of trans adults attempt suicide. The suicide rate is 1.8 times higher in rural areas than in urban areas. Also, uh, suicide rate is highest among middle-aged white males, and that's from 2015. And that has increased dramatically in the last most recent years with the idea of now being a white male in the United States is uh, like you're you're diseased or, you know, you've got some kind of mental disorder. You know, among Native Americans and Alaska Natives, suicide is eighth leading cause of death all ages across the board. You know, and, and for the age group of 15 to 34 and Native Americans and Alaska Natives, Suicide jumps to the second leading cause of death. So statistics by age group have been consistent for many, many years and broken down by age group across all ra uh, racial and ethical groups, ethical groups, ethnic groups, sorry. And suicide is the leading, leading cause of death uh, behind many. So look at the age group of 10 to 14. It's, that's the third uh, highest group of, of people that commit suicide. 15 to 34 is the second highest. 35 to 44 is the fourth highest. 45 to 54 is the fifth highest. 55 to 64 is the eighth, and 65 and older is the 17th. So if you look at the World Health Organization, which I I don't really respect since COVID, but they report that nearly 800,000 people die worldwide each year from suicide. I would suggest it's much higher than that. If you looked at it from a suicidal lifestyle perspective, I would probably tell you it's in the 50s to 60s as far as why people die. And about, but globally, if you look at direct suicide, it's about one person in every 40 seconds dies of suicide. And globally, it's the second leading cause of death for those between the ages of 15 and 24. And just as short as uh, 2019, there was a report that found that the actual number of suicides increased during the time between uh, 
1990 and 2019. And so now we're at about 100,000 deaths per year. And that's about 16.6 deaths per 100,000 people. And now it's 11.2 deaths. That was in 1990. Now it's 11.2 deaths per 100,000. And that's just 2016. Nowadays, that statistic has gone through the roof because all of us have gone ape crap crazy during uh, COVID. You know, depression and suicide are also linked with an estimate that goes up to 60% of people who commit suicide have major depression. But it's important to note that the figure doesn't mean most people with depression will commit suicide. But research does suggest that the majority of suicides are related to psychiatric conditions like depression, substance abuse, and psychosis. And estimates suggest that the suicide risk for mental disorders, including depression, alcoholism, schizophrenia, PTSD, is around 5 to 8%. And so a lot of people who commit suicide have symptoms of mental conditions. And it's important to note that people with conditions of mental disorders do not commit suicide just because you have have a mental disorder doesn't mean you're going to commit suicide, but it's in a higher rung of consideration than those who are not. And there's also warning signs that you can watch for that, that somebody's at risk. There's there's no single type of person who may commit suicide, but the symptoms uh, are are not exhaustive. There's most common signs observed among people who contemplate to take their life. Number one is a change in personality, especially behaviors and social situations a withdrawal from interaction or communication with other people, mood changes that are drastic, such as being in a very low mood one day and a very high mood the next, triggers like a life crisis or trauma in a person who's already living with depression, threats of suicide, expect negative wishes regarding uh, life, such as wishing they'd never been born, you know, giving away cherished belongings to friends and loved ones, Deep depression observed that affects their ability to function socially or in the workplace. So, uh, you know, aggressively or risky behaviors such as high speed driving can also be a factor. So, you know, we're going to talk about what to do when these signs show up. So let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about that. Then we're going to talk about children. So come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley 
as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about, are you thinking about suicide? You know, most people conceive of suicide as being caused illness. But however, there's a lot of people out there who display no signs of depression, substance abuse, bipolar disorder, or any other mental illness, and they also die by suicide. While these deaths are not, you know, they're, they're sometimes shocking and, and confusing to their loved ones, but the individual's decision to take their own life might be attributable to one or several of a wide range of factors that may have to do with how they've conducted their life such as chronic pain or illness, unemployment, job loss, serious legal problems, indecisiveness, uh, demographic factors such as age, race, gender, as well as genetics also appear to play a role in suicidal ideation and uh, completion. Also family backgrounds, people in their life that have committed suicide that are meaningful to them. If that's a history in their life, that's also been a consideration of the person committing suicide or wanting to commit suicide. So the root cause means that we have to look at a condition of a person's life also as a possibility that they may be at a higher risk of killing themselves. And what we do know is that suicide is complicated and that that one need not be severely depressed or or, or contemplate thinking of, of taking your own life. But anyone who is speaking of death, suicide or being burdened, to other people, especially one or more additional mitigating factors are a part of it, that needs to be taken seriously. And mental health services need to be sought. Psychology Today has the therapist directory, which is a great way to find out the expertise that people have and what their profiles are as therapists and psychologists. And that's a good way for you to find somebody who may match up with you. So instead of thinking about suicide, why don't you research therapists and see if you can find a good match? You know, suicidal thoughts, either your own or someone else's, are no doubt an enormously difficult topic of conversation. But, you know, this widespread discomfort often stems from cultural norms and expectations. But, you know, taking your own life might be taboo in some cultures. There's other cultures where it's not, where it's actually an expectation. Uh, Sometimes that's been found in countries like Japan, you know, where suicide is expected if you have lost your job or if you've lost your standing. Um, It's amazing that that would be a part of life, but that's actually a part of some cultures. It's, it's, It's also sad that that would be a consideration. 
But, you know, those pressures combined with many people's discomfort at discussing mental health in general, the majority of people feel hesitant to talk about suicide or maybe deeply uncomfortable and anxious at the thought. But those who are experiencing those thoughts may keep it quiet and, and keep it out of burdening other people. And that silence only perpetuates a stigma around surrounding suicide and pushes those experiencing those thoughts to further isolation. So you, you really want to understand that if you're seeing a shift in somebody, you do want to explore the idea of are you thinking about killing yourself? And no doubt it's a daunting to ask somebody that, but you have to have the courage. We have to have the courage to have that kind of a confrontation. If we're caring, if we're compassionate, if we're truly human beings, we owe that to each other to examine that and to listen to those feelings, to validate those feelings, but not to interject our own decisions and our own life and point that back at somebody or guilt trip them or shame them for having those thoughts. You're only making it worse when you interject guilt and shame. It's a sad thing, but a lot of people will do that, especially parents will do that to their children, which only exacerbates the situation and makes it 10 times worse. Some parents are so narcissistic, they go, why would you do that to me? You know, that is dumb, 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 dumb. But there's a lot of selfish people. There's a lot of narcissists in this tribal society of our globe today. You know, the thought of a child dying by suicide is unimaginable to many parents. But a significant number of children will seriously think about and attempt suicide. And it's among the leading causes of death of children and teens. And there's a lot of evidence that suggests that while it's rare, it's become more common in recent years. So parents should be aware of the key warning signs, noticing the behavioral changes. Are they wearing long sleeves to cover in, in hot weather to cover up their cutting? Look at their legs. Are they cutting on their legs? Are they doing, look for marks, look for different ways of which uh, having drugs in their room, having any kind of drugs in their room is not a good thing. Having medications that are in your, in your cabinet that probably could kill them if they took too many of them. That's something you want to consider to have put away. Children have very low emotional IQ. And what that means, not IQ, EQ. And so what that means is their emotions are raw. So it's like a baby who cries. When the baby cries, it's like, are they hungry? Are they aggravated? Or are they hurt? You know, whatever the cry is, you have to kind of interpret it. Well, when people have a low EQ, that means that you kind of have to interpret anger and rage or silence as something else because they're using that. That's the only emotion they know to communicate, to try to communicate something that may be much more deeper, much more intricate of an emotion to, to display. People that have tough time with their emotions, especially children, have a tough time talking about suicide. You know, knowing behavioral changes to look for. You ask about suicidal thoughts. You find support for a child in need to empower families to provide the emotional support for their child's needs and put them on the road to recovery. And most children do not seriously think of hurting themselves. And an individual's child's risk of suicide in the grand scheme is relatively low, but I've seen it so much. And I'm sure all of you have seen it, especially with these kids having to sit in their bedroom all day long, all night long, by themselves, not doing anything, not socializing, not feeling significant in this life. We have to get them out of the bedroom and develop relationships. If we're going to have anything to get them outside of themselves, it's relationships. And that's an important ingredient. You know, 
It, children who've lost a loved one may also be at a heightened risk, as well as those whose parents have recently got divorced, whose families are facing serious financial trouble. Family conflict has been shown to be a greater risk for young children. So once kids reach the teen years, conflicts with peers begin to have a more significant effect because their peers are their family, because their family sucks. So now they have to deal with these people that they're having conflict with because they don't have a good emotional uh, 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 EQ, you know, and evidence consistently shows that while girls are more likely to commit suicide or attempt suicide, boys are more likely to die from it. And so it's a gender paradox, and it's often attributed to boys' greater propensity to choose more lethal means, such as firearms or, or knives or whatever, while girls tend to choose less violent means, such as medication uh, and cutting. And in some recent evidence suggests that gender gap may be narrowing, at least with some teens, and that is due to social media. And yes, there is social media, and there's stalking on social media. And when you get bullies, cyberbullying people, little children, uh, they are confused and powerless, and they're being attacked in an arena that everybody else can see us especially if they have a Facebook page. So if one friend chooses to humiliate them, that means all their friends are going to have to reassess their relationship with that child. And if that child becomes alienated and you as a parent are even in touch with that, you are allowing your child to be at risk. You need to monitor what your kids are doing, what they're saying, and who, what's going on in their life. You need to have a dialogue. You need to stop being a victim of yourself if you're going to, breed and you're going to have kids in this world, if you're just going to be breeding stock, you're never going to ask a question. If you're going to be a real parent, you will ask the questions and develop that relationship, that trusting, loving relationship of hearing your children's feelings and not projecting your own crap on them. You know, think about a young child hurting themselves is understandably distressing, uh, particularly to parents. But it's important to remember that, that the risk, while real, is very small, but parents can help mitigate the danger by taking seriously any talk from their child about self-harm, about death, about feeling like a burden, feeling hopeless, talking to children about feelings and fears. They make it clear that the parents are available whenever the child needs them. That's our job, to be the safe harbor for our children so they can actually communicate their feelings. When kids are moving into their teenage years, it's important developmentally to understand that we as parents do not dictate what our child can do. We give them the option. You can show up back at, you can come back home at nine, or if you show up late, then you're going to lose this. So now they have the option. They can lose something or, and they know what the consequence will be, or they show up on time. So give them the choice. Don't just deliberately make up at any random moment based on your mood, how to discipline a child. And that's another way that children feel powerless in their teenage years. They feel like their whole life is being dictated by their parents. No, options, options, options. That's what we want to give our children and even the option to fail. You know, suicidal ideation is possible throughout the lifespan, but it does appear most likely during the teenage years. And the reason is, is if you have a parent who tightly uh, handles their child and keeps a very, very strict uh, lifestyle on that child, what will happen is that child will rebel and resent, whether it's going to be in their older life or during that time. They, If you take all the power away from them, they will seek 
power. And suicide is one form of doing that. And it's, it's developmentally normal. Children moody, lash out at parents because they have no power. They want power, but they have none. So the question of their identity, the, you know, if you're going to turn their identity and their sex, gender preferences and all that stuff into a big problem, you're also creating an at-risk child for suicide. So you want to be very careful to understand that our job is to guide them, not to tell them what to do. It's to guide them. We are not God. They are, don't belong to us. And when we are older, we are no longer their parent but we are simply there to support them in their adult life in any way that we possibly can. We have to convert our relationship from one of dictating to one of supporting. And it's better to do that in the teen years than to try to do that after they've already grown up. You know, involvement in bullying, either as a victim or a perpetrator, is associated with a higher risk of suicide. You know, people that are in pain often want to make other people feel pain. So what they will do is they will create a situation with other people who are squeaky toys. And those squeaky toys, like a dog, they're going to squeak that toy until the, until the, the squeak comes out, and they might even chew that up. But if that toy never squeaks, there's a good chance that bully will stop bullying because they look like an idiot because you're not giving them what they're looking for, which is a verbal or nonverbal reaction. The more that you rise above their behavior, the more they're going to look for another target. They want squeaky toys. You know, depression can be a contributing factor in many instances of suicide, especially with teenagers. But we need to look at the signs of depression in a child. And what would that be? Well, maybe sleep is part of it, but maybe sadness is part of it. Maybe living their life as if they're Eeyore is part of it. But, you know, if they're apathetic in their life, that's a good sign that they're suicidal. Also, uh, uh, irritability in, in kids. That is another deep, deep, deep sign of suicide. That means there's something going on in them that is making them feel off base. The other reality is developmentally, what we used to think was 18 emotionally, developmentally an adult, is now 32. So emotional maturity has changed enormously between what we used to consider an adult to what an adult is today. Adults at 32 have a tendency to start creating their life at that age. Yes, they may start during their 20s, but they get more willful and more strong and more confident as they enter into their, their, their late 20s to early 30s. And that's when they start stepping into life and actually taking real accountable steps for themselves and for their life. You know, uh, excessive talk about dying you know, going away or self-harm, you know, pa parents shouldn't panic whenever the child brings up death or a pre preoccupation with the topic. What they want to do is go emotionally deeper and talk about the pain, talk about what the child's going through, what's causing that pain. You know, changes in sleep patterns, appetite, energy levels, those are signs that something else could be going on. Also, a, a sudden decreased appetite, insomnia, daytime fatigue, frequent nightmares. That's also maybe a sign of a medical problem, but it also could be a sign that they're th thinking about suicide because they're putting themselves in an at-risk lifestyle, meaning that emotionally they're not going to be stable if they don't get enough sleep. All right. That's as much as I can give you. That's our show. Thank you for listening. I love hearing from you. And you could do that at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. We also
also now have a Facebook page that you can actually support our program if you go to the links page on our Voice America webpage. And we need that if you wish to continue the program because I have no sponsors. So I do this program for you. So remember, if you put your hand over your heart, you understand you still have a purpose. If you think no one cares you are alive, miss a few car payments. Also, to commit suicide is to lose your sense of humor. And when the sun goes down on Earth, the stars come out. And if you live in an apartment and want to shoot yourself, consider your neighbors. They may not feel the same as you. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 